Welcome back to How They Train. Today I'm joined by Jess Stenson, formerly Trengrove. Jess has represented Australia twice at the Olympics in the marathon. She's a bronze medalist at the Commonwealth Games Marathon and finished ninth place at the World Champs Marathon. Only a couple of mar- months ago, she ran her marathon PB of 2.25, which further cemented her spot as one of the people leading the charge in the golden age of female marathon running in Australia. Jess, thanks so much for jumping on. It's a, um, it's a real privilege to chat to someone of the calibre of you. Have you, um, have you been out and trained this morning? I have been training this morning and I was listening to your to your podcast. Um, it's an honour to be on the show. I, I really, I love what you're doing and I've, I've really enjoyed listening to the interviews. And this morning I was listening to Luke Matthews. We've been, um, yeah, doing a bit of work together on the Inside Running podcast. So it was really interesting actually to, to get a bit more information about his background and, and experiences. So um, yeah, great work. <laughs> Yeah, that's just so surreal. Like, it's uh, it just seems so crazy to me that someone as uh, as good as you and and that's achieved what you've achieved is like jogging along in the morning, listening to to my <laughs> podcast. That's uh, I I can't even like begin to explain how like surreal that is to me. So yeah, thanks for listening. That means a lot. Nah, it's it's funny because then I obviously hear your voice and I feel like I I know you already. So. Yeah, it's just like mates chatting. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I want it to feel like. So I'm glad you feel like that. Um, even if you do have to listen to me and a couple of my mates uh, get a little bit emotional and cry occasionally on the podcast. Uh, it's all part of it. Running's an emotional yeah. sport at times. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, what did you do this morning? I actually did an elliptical session. Um so it's very muggy here in Adelaide at the moment. I was sweating a lot and um Luke Matthews, as you know, he's he's talked about, has a bit of an injury at the moment. So he's been doing a fair few elliptical sessions. So I've taken a bit of inspiration from him and have been ch- changing up what I'm doing. So this morning I created a bit of a fart lick. I did five minutes on, 30 seconds on, four minutes on, 30 seconds on, three minutes on, da da da, down the chain with one minute recovery and um, yeah, got the heart rate up. I will talk about it more, I'm sure, today, but I was training for a marathon in late. February in Japan and unfortunately I I found out recently that um, they can no longer accept international runners because of the the COVID situation there so I'm kind of back to the drawing board so I've decided just to cross train and take it pretty easy for the next week um, to just let my body recover while I work out what my next target will be. Yeah okay so I'm sort of interested in this because you ran a, a marathon not too long ago. It was in, uh, I think it was in October. Am I right? Last it year? It was. Yeah. yeah Mid-October in, in Perth. Yeah. And um, and like you ran so well there. You ran 225, um, 225 low as well. Um, and, and you'd been sort of coming off a, a little bit of a, like an extended break from, from the marathon, hadn't you? Yeah, it wasn't really an intended break. I um, gave birth to my son, Billy, um, at the end of 2019 and was hoping to, to get back into um, training and marathon running, um, you know, to try and qualify for the Tokyo Games when they were going to be in mid-2020. So I sort of eased back into training and, and started to ramp things up. To, to hit a marathon in Hamburg in April of 2020. And look, it was going to be a big stretch to, to run a qualifying time there and, and more so to, to gain a top three position um, out of the Australians because we already had three you know, amazing girls who had qualified. But I just set myself a little challenge and, and that race was subsequently 
postponed because of COVID and then the Olympics were postponed. So that sort of dragged out my, um, my first marathon since giving birth to my next goal became potentially London of that year, which was in October. And, and that got a bit difficult um, traveling and, and I was breastfeeding at the time and I, I couldn't take my baby over there with me. So I instead targeted a marathon in April or May of 2021 again, to try and qualify for the uh, postponed Olympics. And I, I got injured um, ahead of that one. So um, it then went to Gold Coast, which was cancelled and, and eventually Perth in October. So I was actually hoping to run a marathon, um, you know, a year and a half earlier, but that's just the way it turned out. Yeah. Wow. I don't even like, I'm just the least qualified person to have a discussion around this, but I am fascinated <laughs> by it. Um, what, What's it like when you're – so you're a professional athlete who is at the top of their sport. Like um, at any – pretty much any other period of time in Australia, you would just be like such a dominant female marathon runner. Like there really wouldn't be anyone close to you. But you're part of this like – like I called it in the intro, like this golden age of female marathoning we're going through <laughs> where there's like three, four, five girls who are pretty much as good as anyone we've ever had. And so what's it like for you knowing that you're, you're in this age where you're like – you can't just like sort of um, – half-hearted you like you have to be all in or or you're just not even going to make teams at the moment mm. and to, to like to give birth and then to have to go through all of that with COVID and some injury as well as giving birth <laughs> like where how I don't even know what the question is like I'm so like overwhelmed by thinking about that but <laughs> well, how's that all played out yeah it's really special to be a part of it I think um I it was interesting listening to Julian's episode actually he talks about um being a very um, made for the marathon. And I feel like the marathon is really my, my distance as well. I, I came into the sport um, off a really a, a background of a variety of sports, but predominantly netball. I love netball and, and in particularly running through the center court. And my goal um, as a young girl was to, to be a, you know, to play for the Adelaide Thunderbirds, which was like the, the state team here, the equivalent of, you know, Crows or Port Power in Netball. And um, at the age of 21, realised that I'd sort of hit my peak as a netballer and wanted to pursue a sport to the highest level and saw maybe an opportunity with running. So I started at the age of 21 to um, to really just set some goals and, and change my life around um, to, to align with those goals. And so I started working with my current coach, Adam Didick, and um, he kind of encouraged me to set my really big goals. And at the time, as a child, I'd always um, loved the Olympics and thought, gee, I'd love to aim for the Olympics, but thought that was too far-fetched and uh, was reluctant to put that one down. But Adam said, just, just do it, you know, I'd, I'd um, been to the Sydney Olympics and was very inspired there and thought, okay, I'll, I'll write that one down. But what really helped me um, was to set some smaller goals and some process goals around just my daily um, lifestyle habits. So, you know, getting more consistent and better quality sleep, um, I guess, eating and um, making dietary choices that would help me to get the most out of my running, making sure I was fueling properly for sessions. And really it was just about starting to run more. So Adam, rather than just doing three runs a week, got me doing my key sessions, but then, you know, a jog on my off days and started to 
um, increase that Sunday long run. And anyway, by um, so this was in 2008, by 2010, I, I decided to run my first half marathon. And that's when I just knew that um, distance running was my thing. I'd, I'd enjoyed cross country through school, but I just felt so relaxed and happy out there in that half marathon on the Gold Coast. And, and that led me to my first um, sort of senior Australian team. I went to, to Nanning for the World Half Marathon Championships and, and had a ball there and got to meet, you know, Benita Willis, my idol, and um, a few of the other Australian, you know, girls that I'd been following along. So from there, um, really, we we set our sights on, on a marathon target in early 2012. And um, at the time, two girls had qualified for the marathon for the London Olympics. It was um, Benita Willis, uh, my idol, <laughs> and um, Lisa Waitman, who I'd also, um, you know, seen and, and had a lot of respect for. So because there was that third spot up for grabs, we were like, what have we got to lose? Let's just try and hit that you know, Olympic qualifying pace and see what happens. So that was in Nagoya. And um, I, yeah, at halfway was, was feeling pretty average. My, um, I remember my shins were cramping up and my hamstring was twinging, but I was just so inspired by that Olympic goal and, and managed to get to the finish line in two hours and 31 minutes and, and qualified for the team. So that just shows how far marathon running's come. That was yeah, basically 10 years ago. And I, I had to run under two hours and 32 minutes to qualify for the Olympics. Now, I don't think anyone will be qualifying, you know, in a time slower than probably 2.26 <laughs> um, for the next Olympics. So it, it's come a long way and it's been really cool to be on that journey. It's so crazy, isn't it? Like I, do, I actually just don't why, – why do you think it's happened? What's, what's led to this period where you've got like girls like yourself and Sinead and, and Ali and, and Millie and, and it's just so competitive at that top level? Has, is it just coincidence or do you think it's, do you think it's because, you know, is it, is it like did you drive it? What's actually led to it? Well, I think, um, you know, the, the marathon for females was only an Olympic sport um, for the first time in 19 19- – 84 in the LA Olympics, which sounds like a long time ago, but it really, um, you know, that, that would have taken a few years to sort of catch on. And then um, we've seen more and more women taking up distance running. I think back then it was still seen as potentially unsafe for females to, to run the marathon, which is why it wasn't in the Olympics. And so as time has gone on, we've learned more about um, training methods for, for females. And um, I think more, more women are just saying that you can do it and uh, we're starting to see more um, people specializing in the marathon at a younger age traditionally it was something you'd perhaps go to once you'd exhausted your limits in the you know 5,000 meters 10,000 meters but you know for me I was 23 and it was obvious that my strength was over the longer distances and and my coach and you know he had mentors Sean Crichton and people like Steve Monaghetti and Deke saying, um, I think, you know, if, if you think that's your event, go for it now. And I'm really glad that I was encouraged to, to go to the marathon at the age of 23, rather than trying to, you know, squeeze everything out of myself over those shorter distances where I probably wouldn't have been making Australian teams. So, um, you know, I, I think, yeah there's just more information out there and and more visibility and people just seeing that it doesn't matter what your age or, or your background you have a go and and 
and see what happens. And, um, you know, having the opportunity to wear the green and gold is, is really special. And um, I think, yeah, a few girls have, have seen that they can do it. And then once you achieve one thing, you just keep on raising the bar. <laughs> hey, how wild is it that like, and you brought sort of um, brought it up just then, that women weren't allowed to even like run marathons until the early 70s. Yeah. Like, is that not the craziest thing of all time? It is, yeah. No, it's 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 mad. I love that Catherine Switzer story. Um, how good. The Boston Marathon and just seeing the images and um, – it really wasn't that long, long ago. As, as like a professional female marathon runner, what does that story, like what sort of emotions does it provoke in you? Like, cause I assume it's very different to sort of when I see it and, 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 you know, read about it. I assume we have like completely different feelings around that, but what, what does that story of like her, like just being like, well, fuck this, I'm, I'm running this thing, you know, this is bullshit um, and, and just doing it. What does that sort of like, yeah. What does that sort of thing mean to you? Oh, I'm just proud of her because if she hadn't done that, there may have been another, you know, 10-year lag and, and we might not be enjoying what we can today. So, you know, it takes a tough personality in someone who's willing to really rock the boat to do that because you're dealing with, you know, powerful race directors and um, she obviously had some, you know, people in her corner who were really encouraging her to do it as well and, um yeah. yeah, it's just a wild story. <laughs> it would be interesting to know where we'd be today if, if that hadn't happened. Yeah, it's and it's not even that long ago. That's what's crazy about it. Like, it 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 like it to us like living in this day and age right now. If you didn't know that, you would you wouldn't believe it. I don't reckon. I don't think you would if you never knew that women weren't allowed to ma- run marathons. And someone said to you, you know that like women literally weren't allowed to run a marathon until 1972. You'd be like, what? That, no, that that can't be right. It's like so stupid, you can't even wrap your head around it. It just shows that we're quite afraid to challenge the norms and and question things at times. I even found when I fell pregnant in 2019 and went to seek information about, um, you know, exercise approaches during pregnancy, (laughs) there really isn't much research out there. you know, there are a couple of elite studies on like cross-country skiers and pregnancy. And, you know, I I ended up um, doing a course where I learned that um, some GPs and, you know, medical professionals would still advise, um, you know, not to get your heart rate up up above a particular level and and give out some really conservative advice that was, um, you know, the done thing in the 80s. But there is you know, more information out there to show now that um, you can you can actually be active during pregnancy and there are lots of benefits to doing that. But, you know, if you have a, a, a medical professional who's telling you now it's safer just to sort of be, um, you know, inactive and that's what you do, it's actually now known that that's potentially not good for you or the baby. So we've still got a long way to go. Um, and it wasn't until I sort of was pregnant and started looking for information that I realized, um, yeah, we're just, we're not moving very quickly in that space. <laughs> that, that is like interesting you say that because I do think that if most people saw like a pregnant lady going for a jog and, you know, like was in like workout gear and looked like you would, if you weren't pregnant going for a jog, I reckon most people would look at that and be like, Oh, that's interesting. Like yeah. that's not normal. Yeah. And like, I hadn't really thought about that until then. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of mixed advice out there and, and then it opens people up 
um, to be criticised who are exercising when they're pregnant um, because of the, the mixed information. So I think we'll see a lot of, um, yeah, I, I guess, um, changes in, in that realm over the next 10 years. And I think it will become the norm to, to be quite active during your pregnancy as, um, as time goes on and there is more research done. Yeah, hopefully. And like, hopefully people like you can drive that, like people with a, with a voice who have been there and done that and, and sort of have educated themselves and have lived it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is tricky because everyone's, um, obviously it's an individual thing and it depends on your exercise history and also your pregnancy. Um, there are a number of things that can happen during pregnancy that would mean it is unsafe to exercise. So you really need to, to understand your body and your situation and be guided um, as an individual. But uh, it just shows you can't have blanket rules for everyone and, and people can't judge um, others not knowing, you know, their situations. It's, it's a tricky one. <laughs> Hey, when you were pregnant and um, and like the whole world is like the running world is still going on while you're pregnant, it's almost like this forced period of, I don't know, let's call it maybe like 12 months where you know you're not going to be as competitive as the guys who, who aren't. Hey, what does that feel like? Are you sort of, um, when you're going through it, are you sort of thinking like, oh, I'm never going to get back, like these girls are just getting ahead of me, like is this the end of my career or is it the opposite? Are you just like, really like are you, are you forgetting about your sport a little bit and just doing like the, the little things and, mm. and it's all about the baby and then and then what happens afterwards is like an afterthought it's interesting I, I really enjoyed pregnancy actually and I I didn't feel I didn't really have itchy feet I was so ready for that phase of life I'd as I said been um, training for a marathon since 2012 in some way or another um, so I'd been running one to two a year since 2012 and in 2018 I ran three so I did the Commonwealth Games in April the Gold Coast Marathon in July and then I ended up racing the Toronto Marathon in October and you know after the Commonwealth Games I didn't feel like I'd been able to show my fitness that I'd gained um, in preparing for that marathon um, in the way of a time. So I was determined to run that marathon in July. But after that, I just started um, finding the, the training a real grind. Um, my husband, well, my now husband, Dylan, and I went to Europe for a few months um, before that Toronto marathon. And you'd think that would be the dream, you know, running through these lush trails in the Netherlands and exploring uh, Europe but I was finding the training really tough I just mentally had started to to disengage because I was um, just feeling worn out from it all and you know physically I, I had the fitness and um, that was able to keep me going but I had always dreamed of becoming a mum and I was really starting to um, feel the urge to chase that um that goal in life and got through this Toronto marathon and, and had a successful result there, which if anything, just made me hungry to get back to the marathon again one day and, and see what I could do. But I was so ready to, to try and become a mum at that point um, that when it happened, I was really just content um, being pregnant and not, not training too hard. I, I liked just trying to stay fit. I was doing a lot of cross training rather than running. And that was a, a bit of a personal decision I made to um, protect my my body. I knew that if I wanted to get back to a high level of running, I needed my uh, pelvis and pelvic floor and everything to be um, 
you know, operating as I, I knew it. So um, I didn't want to, to put that pressure through my pelvis with the heavy weight of, um, you know, a baby in there. So um, that's how I approached uh, my pregnancy, just maintain my fitness. And um, when, when Billy came along, I was feeling, you know, excited to get back into running um, because I had, I had been missing it. So yeah and and I guess since this like this is something I'm really like I really want to talk about is that you've now gone on and, and run your marathon PB after all of this like and especially hearing you out late like the way you have you've been in it for so long so it it must be like um it, it's like quite a quite a, an interesting story that you've only just ran you know 225 your, your PB um and and it's come off the back of a pregnancy and and you know you've been to two Olympic games before it so like for a lot of people that might be the end of their career but in like <laughs> a weird way to me it seems like like the best is just coming for you which is like it, yeah now I've heard you talk about it, sort of is a bit mind-blowing really <laughs> I think that's what keeps me motivated I feel like I've got more to give um I'm not sure why but since giving birth I've um I don't know I just feel so much mentally fresher you know I'm not getting as much sleep and there's a lot to sort of juggle in a day but when I get out and run I'm just wanting to give it everything I got to a stage with running before becoming a mum where I was getting out um you know and doing my runs and getting out, um, going to my sessions thinking I've, I've just got to get this done. I've just got to tick it off. Um, it was, you know, a bit of a task at times, but now I'm going out feeling fired up and excited to see what I can do. And my times have improved in training. I think I'm just a bit stronger, a bit more powerful. Um, yeah, I'm not sure whether it's physiological tra- um, changes that happen through pregnancy or just a fresher mental approach or that I'm stronger from carrying, you know, a 14-kilogram toddler around more. But I've been able to, I guess, improve on my speed, which the added intensity in my sessions now, perhaps um, I do need to dial back the, the overall volume. I'm just finding that I've been a bit more susceptible to injury as well. So that's been tough. And that's the reason why I've been doing some more cross training because I, I used to be able to sort of roll along, you know, hitting between 150 and 170 kilometers per week pretty comfortably. And now it seems that getting over 150 is sort of my limit before I, I get a bit vulnerable to, to injury. So I'm just trying to work out what my new safe zone is. And that's been a process. <laughs> can, can we like go back and, and talk about the, the building to your, your PB? Do you, mm-hmm. Before we do that, do you feel that that's the best run you've ever had in your life? It depends. From a time perspective, it is my fastest marathon. Um, One of my best races mentally and physically was probably the 2017 World Championships in London. That was more of a tactical race. Um, But both Toronto in October of 2018 and Perth in October of 2021. So, yeah, a few years later, they... They were physically probably my my best executed races, but certainly not my best preps. So as I said, I, I struggled mentally preparing for Toronto. I was just 
I was training on my own and was struggling to get out there. It was my husband, Dylan, who had belief in me. He just kept reassuring me that even though I wasn't getting the validation in training, you know, I could do it. Um, And I kind of just went out there that day with a really open mind and managed to run, I think, very even splits for both halves. And if anything felt like I was powering home, I felt really strong at the end of that race. So I think mentally that day, I just um, was, was strong and had the backing of a couple of marathon preps that year to help me. And then this October race in um, 2021, the Perth Marathon, I sustained a, a bone stress injury. I'm not sure how many weeks out, maybe eight or so, um, maybe 10. And so again, relied a fair bit on cross training. So I, I didn't feel like I had an ideal preparation for that one. But again, on the day was just so calm and determined to make the most of the opportunity because there was nothing really on the line. It was just a race for me and the people who had helped me to get there. So when the going got tough at around 25 kilometers, I I never panicked. I just thought, well, let's just keep trying to hang on and see what happens. And then I sort of came good at about 30 kilometers and felt um, quite strong towards the finish again. So that made me excited about what could be possible if I was able to get a, um, you know, a, a preparation right in the lead up where I um, didn't have those injury hiccups. So yeah. I'm still chasing, <laughs> chasing that. That's so wild. I, that made that, that, this makes me even more like, um, you know, keen to jump into, into that prep and hear about it. Like I just, I wish I left my phone outside the room where I recorded, but I wish I had it. Cause that like you ended up running 225, which is like three, is it 326 or 327 per K? It is 326. Um, I could bring up my prep here oh i don't know strava i probably can't go back far enough can i <laughs> i don't know but yeah like 326 per k for for most people for the marathon is just so fast like it's it's almost impossible to think about and and you've done it you know after all this you've you've given birth you've come back you've had injuries you've <laughs> you've had a, a bone stress injury in the build up to that and to run 326 per k for 42 k's is for for most people that's just like <laughs> that's super 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 like superhuman stuff i'd sort of i'd had a few marathon preps where i didn't end up getting to run the marathon so with this one i think i was benefiting from the strength of those preps but i'm just looking here so on october the 3rd for example a couple of weeks before the race i i did a 2 hour and 20 run but then jumped on the elliptical for 21 minutes straight afterwards or i might have done the elliptical before so rather than doing my big two and a half hour runs with kick downs i was sort of incorporating some cross training within it and i still got you know a couple of really good marathon style sessions in with um, matt clark supporting me who ended up um, coming to perth with me to to help with the pace on the day so that was that was incredible. I found it really, um, you know, calming to have Clarky with me, but also really special just to know that um, a training partner was willing to fly to Perth and, and help me with my race and, um, you know, sharing those moments with other people um, makes it really rewarding. And I think, you know, the days when you just feel mentally strong or when you just feel so supported out there and you're running for a bigger reason than yourself. And I, I definitely felt that in Perth. And 
as I said, when, when it started to hurt, I, I didn't panic. I just sort of thought, well, just focus on, you know, relaxing your breathing, just try and keep the legs ticking over and hopefully this uncomfortable moment will pass. And, and then, you know, yeah, you do think of those people who have stuck by you during the tough times and it always helps you to draw a bit more out of yourself. This is really interesting, actually, because you sort of brought up Julian Spencer's episode before, and and on his mm. episode, he um he said that that he sort of has things he draws on at certain points. So he'll like you know at twenty at twenty k into the marathon, he's got like a pre planned thing he thinks about, and then at twenty five, it's something else, and thirty, it's mm. something else, and at thirty five, he actually sent me the the journal entry after our episode because we were talking about it, and he sent me the journal entry of. Uh, exactly what kilometer someone would hold up a sign that would mm. take his mind to a certain place and at 37 it was family and and then he talked about how like a, a girl he coaches a really good friend of mine and and you know one of your uh one of your like uh, <laughs> fellow competitors Ali Pashley she's a legend who's just who's just <laughs> yeah. the best like one of my favorite people on she planet is. earth um she can't do that <laughs> and like she doesn't she like well Julian will be telling her like oh like I do this and this and this and she's just like oh I wouldn't do that I couldn't do that like she doesn't she doesn't draw on that same thing her motivation comes from other places I think that's sorry why I found it really crazy listening to Julian's episode because I could really relate to what he was saying and he said you know maybe his strength in the marathon is his ability to to dig deep and endure a lot mentally and I I feel like that's sort of been my strength in the marathon as well and and I mean as a young child I remember being really nervous for races but I would really get the most out of myself I'd cross the line completely empty and um, you know even in year 12 I hadn't been training that much and I went to national cross country and I probably wasn't as fit as I I should have been for that event, but I almost passed out at the, well, I did pass out at the finish line actually. I ended up in medical <laughs> because I had just dug so, so deep and um, I've always taken a bit of a similar approach to, to Julian where I... Um, in the earlier stages and more uh, clinical in my approach, I'd say I'm thinking about, you know, keeping my, my shoulders relaxed and my um, respiratory muscles and, you know, trying to have an even cadence and and not putting too much um, stress on any particular part and um, thinking about getting to the next landmark, making sure I execute the next drink station. Well, not, um, you know, going to a very deep place mentally. And then in the later stages, perhaps after 25 kilometres, I try to prolong it as much as possible. Um, That point where I switch to, you know, letting the emotional thoughts start to come in where I think about, you know, maybe some nice messages of support that I've received or, you know, the letters from the primary school kids before, you know, an Olympic Games, um, thinking of my family and, and things they've said uh, wherever I need to go to, to draw the most out of myself I'll let myself go there in the later stages but it is quite um, you know you can burn through a bit of energy when you start to let the emotions in so you've got to pick it at the right time but I, I also do look at the course before I race a marathon pick out some sections that I think are going to be difficult so you know, I know with the Melbourne Marathon at that 25 kilometre turnaround point near Elwood, I start to find it quite challenging 
from that point. So there I'd actually have a pre-planned strategy or something that I'm, I'm going to think about to help me through that, that stage of the race. Um, you know, in Perth, I picked out a few sections that I thought would be tough and thought at this point, I'm going to think of this person or this thing. So yeah, it was quite freaky listening to Julian and thinking, I, I do that. <laughs> yeah. So when you pick out those points, like say we'll use Perth as the example because um, it's mm-hmm. the most recent. When you pick out those one or two points and you go, okay, I'm going to think about that person there and then that person there. When you get to those points, is it exactly how it happens? Do you think about that person and does it make you feel the way you thought it would or is that not how it plays out? Um, it is when I have those pre-planned um, strategies. So in Perth, um, my mum travelled over with one of her friends and they were at the 17-kilometre um, point, which then was also the 35-kilometre point. So at oh, it was about 9Ks in, I was starting to get a little bit worried. I know this sounds early, but <laughs> I had yeah. um, a bit of um, friction at a point um, on my foot and I was thinking oh this is early to be feeling that burning numb kind of pain there and I was like okay I'm seeing you know mum and her friend at 17ks just get excited about that and and think about um, you know when I see them and how uplifting that's going to be and and then there was a um, yeah a big sort of a bridge coming towards 21ks and at that point I, I knew that I needed to sort of check in and and make sure I was feeling relaxed and you know think about something that Clarkie had said to me in training um when I when I run up a hill and I I think because there's not much to think about when you're running you do (laughs) you do remember those things and you get excited about little things or you try to try to get excited about the little things because if you focus on how I guess bored you are at points in long runs and it happens in your training as well it's quite overwhelming you have to just try and keep yourself entertained and and not read too much into any little thoughts (laughs) this is why a lot of runners are just like a little bit crazy isn't it because we spend so much time (laughs) in our own thoughts like two hours on a sunday every sunday just like thinking about weird shit (laughs) just to get us through so true (laughs) when when you are like you sort of um touched on it there do you do you use these like same tactics in training or do they only come out on race day? Like if you're really battling through a long run, will you go to a deep emotional place or will you just, you know, will you let yourself back off mentally more than more than like lean into it? Um, I definitely sort of save those strategies for race day in training. Um, I've usually got some people around me, training partners, or I might have a, a podcast that I'm listening to. I do try to have some sessions where I'm not stimulating myself in other ways so that I can just practice being there and, and working through the, the pain. But what usually motivates me during those um, tough times in training is the race that I'm preparing for. So if it's really hurting in a marathon specific session, I'll start visualizing the race and, and what it might be like out there and, and how satisfied I'll be when I cross the, the finish line. And, um, you know, there are, there are certain aspects of training where you've got to be more um, uh, clinical or less emotional in your approach, your approach to where you're thinking about practicing your gels and your drinks and you sort of flick between um, business and, you know, deep and meaningful thoughts. Yeah. Okay. That's, it's interesting because I know like, um, 
it can be sometimes a little bit hard in training to uh, like, or I've sort of found it hard um, myself to like, to just like every time things get tough to, to like let them race motivate me every time. Like that sort of doesn't Mm. work for me. So it's like funny for you that you can use it to like, okay, I've got this race and, and every time I think about that, it'll, it'll motivate me for every single session I'm doing. Yeah. I'd have to say it's, it's hard to use that for, every um session I think sometimes you need to I think to stay motivated you need to realize like your greater purpose for doing what you're doing as well so for me you know there's always that one finish line that you're working towards but overall I I've always had a really um an interest in inspiring or helping others to enjoy being active and um I guess, get the benefits of an active lifestyle and that overarching theme sort of motivates me a lot as well, trying to um, do whatever I can do to to help others want to be active. And that's, you know, speaking to to kids at schools and, um, you know, getting out to some community events and those sorts of things. So if you're driven by something even bigger than the race, that, that helps as well. But overall with with motivation you know it it is tough at times and you go through some really um you know dull spots where you're battling each day to to fire up and that's when it's usually important for me to make sure I am making it social you know I might try and chat to um someone who um inspires me you know for me my my brother Jack he's been through some really tough injuries and and tough times in his AFL career but he's always managed to maintain such a positive outlook and if I were to um, catch up with him for a chat he usually fires me up you know within one (laughs) within one catch up and reminds me or gives me some perspective and um yeah, I can usually find a way to pull myself out of those um, patches of, of low motivation. I've got a few different strategies now. And another one is sometimes just listening to an uplifting podcast or watching, you know, a, a doco or, or reading an autobiography. Um, there are a lot of inspiring stories out there and you quickly realise that um, it's a privilege to be able to do what we do. <laughs> It's like, it's funny because when I like would first get into running or like I I moved into triathlon and that sort of thing, I would like watch a lot of videos or like motivational videos and read a lot of books and like listen to a lot of podcasts. And, and I sort of like, it motivated me, but at the same time I was like, oh, am I a bit of like a, you know, is this a bit of like a, a, like a nerdy uh, runner thing to do? And then to hear (laughs) you like pretty arguably the, the best female marathoner in Australia, definitely sort of the top three or four. Uh, still does that sort of thing. It, it makes me realize like, no, that's like completely normal. And, and we are sort of all inspired and, and motivated by other people and, and that's okay. Yeah, and, sure. and, and using that is like a, can be a really like powerful tool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely think hearing other people's stories it, um, provides that motivational fuel for sure. Because at the end of the day, what I love about running is the people in the sport and, um, some of my greatest memories are from, you know, training camps and and trips away um, with teams. And I don't know, you make some pretty cool connections. Last night, I was actually speaking to um, 
a group of um, athletes in Sweden who, um, Ben Haradine, he's one of um, Australia's uh, great discus throwers who's um, now retired, but you know, the connection we've made, uh, Dylan and I went and stayed with him in Sweden when we were over in Europe. And then, you know, um, having a chat to a group of people in Sweden last night, it just, um, it really enhances your life, the people you meet through sports. So um, I I don't think there's anything nerdy about, <laughs> about <laughs> listening to the stories of others. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm just a bit self-conscious. Um, <laughs> so... In in the build up to this uh, this marathon PB, can you sort of take me inside what your training did look like, and and maybe like even as like a, a like a more overarching training philosophy you have and that you and your coach use and and have used, and and has it changed over time, and 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 then after that, like will it change going forward? Yeah, it's interesting. So Adam Diddick, my coach, um, he we were just well, actually I was friends with his wife who was his girlfriend at the time um through my high school days so I um grew up in Narracourt which is a a country town in South Australia and then I moved to Adelaide to go to boarding school for my final three years of school and um signed up to well I was already a member of a running club in Adelaide and had a coach come and pick me up from the boarding house twice a week for training and I I got to know um Kate Diddick and um at the time Adam was, uh, he was probably in America at that point, um, trying to pursue his own Olympic dream. He was sort of 1500 meter, um, 5k runner, I guess. And, um, he ended up sustaining an injury, which meant that he was in rehab for a while and, and took on a couple of athletes as a coach. And, um, we, Kate and I, um, our coach retired and I was at that point probably going to give running away. I went overseas with a friend and, you know, went on a Kentucky tour and, and did all sorts. We, we had a lot of fun and um, I came back and I hadn't really missed running while I was over there and was a bit of, at a bit of a crossroads as to what I'd do. But um, Adam took over our training squad and he got me all fired up again, I guess. He put the pressure on me to, to start running a bit more. I, um, you know, was doing my couple of sessions a week and he said, look, I'd like you to start introducing a 15 minute jog on the days in between. And um, I pushed back and I remember (laughs) I was on MSN messenger at the time. And I remember his (laughs) name popped up and he's like, have you been for your jog today? And I was like, Oh, far out. What do I tell him? (laughs) I was like, Oh, I had netball. Sorry. And I used to find excuses and he just kept on hinting that, you know, I, I should be doing these extra little runs and, um, I remember I had to go and pick up my brother from footy training or something one day. And I had about 15 minutes to spare. I was like, I'll go and do this, you know, jog that Adam's been telling me to do. And I proudly rocked up to training the next day saying, I went for my jog and he's like, good, do it again tomorrow. And anyway, I just started to build some layers of fitness and, um, yeah, I started to see the improvements and it was pretty clear early on that I was a responder to that aerobic training, you know, doing my 200 meter reps a few times a week wasn't really um, benefiting me like the the 40 minute long run was. And um, so as I started to introduce more longer runs, um, my time started to come down and then I didn't need any motivating. I started getting really um, excited about what might be possible and 
really enjoyed seeing the progress. So I think Adam's principle has always been um, more um, build that, you know, big aerobic base and, um, and then you start to, to add in a bit more speed speed work but it's definitely evolved over time I mean Adam started out as a coach pretty much the year before I started focusing on running and he'd never coached an athlete to a marathon before that was um, something that we just worked through together and he took a lot of advice I think from Chris Wardlaw and um, and you know chatted to Steve Monaghetti and and as I said earlier Sean Crichton who was Adam's coach for a while and uh, they kind of kept on reassuring him that the training he was setting me was appropriate and once um, we got that result in the Nagoya Marathon in early 2012 I think Adam started to gain more confidence but We've definitely refined things over the time and team tempo, his um, squad has evolved and he's now coaching athletes from 800 metres upwards and from of all different ages. So he's really had to, you know, tweak his um, training approach to suit the, the different runners and their different um, focus events. So it's it's been really cool. I, I wouldn't say our philosophy is too different from from um, Moose's hierarchy of principles, I think he called it yep, the other like week, uh, <laughs> where enjoyment has to be at the top. And certainly for me, if if I'm not enjoying it, um, I, if, yeah, one, um, I'm not as consistent and I think I'm more vulnerable to injury if I'm not enjoying it. It's It really is the key to, you know, sustainability and consistency. And then aerobic fitness is is a big um, principle of Adams um, for runners of any distance, really building that, that base. And um, I found that when I started in increasing my um, long runs and, and adding in or improving my aerobic fitness, I also started making better lifestyle choices and, um, you know, improving my diet. And as a consequence started actually getting less colds and, and, um, things like that, which I think um, that was one of my barriers through those uni years as well. As soon as I'd increase my training, I'd, I'd get sick, but I was probably bringing in intensity before having that aerobic base. So, um, and yeah, another one of the, um, another aspect of the philosophy is that consistency. So yeah, I, I think going forward, we'll keep those principles, but just need to see cross training as, not a second resort it's actually something that we'll incorporate into my program as a as a benefit to my training you know I, I think there's merit um, to the elliptical um, in that it trains you to be more mentally resilient because it's so boring um, <laughs> so if you can get through some long elliptical sessions you know running does seem easier um, it gets you sort of firing up um, your posterior chain muscles your, your glutes and everything in a way that running doesn't necessarily and for me I've been running um, for so many years um, I think going out for a 30 minute jog I don't sort of get that stimulus that I used to that um, you know perhaps an elliptical session gives me um, something that you know a bit of a different stimulus that actually provides benefit and if it makes me less um, vulnerable to injury I think it's just something that we should schedule into my program now rather than have it there as um, you know the thing to do when you're injured. 
Yeah. And what's your goal going forward? It's like, is it just Olympics now? Is it like big championships performance or is it like, do you want to, you know, break the Australian female marathon record, which Sinead holds at 224.15 or something, I think it is. Mm. Um, yeah. Where, where, where's the future for you, Jess? I definitely, you know, I, I feel like um, I've got more to give in the marathon event and I'd really like to explore that further. You know, the other distances, I, I would certainly like to improve my um, 5K track PB, even my 10K track PB. I feel like I've I've got a bit more there and I, I haven't um, run a, a half marathon that I'm proud of yet. It's There have just sort of been... Um, I don't know, a few opportunities over the years and, and I just haven't quite got it right. So really, if I could PB across all distances, that would be that would be great. But um, if I'm going to be completely honest, I'd, I'd really love to have another baby at some stage as well. And that's the challenge. I'd love to aim for the next Olympics. I'd love to make some more Australian teams um, and you know, my um, number one priority has always been family. So trying to um, work out which goal fits where and, um, you know, there's an element that you can control, but there also is an aspect that you can't. So as a female athlete, I think you just sort of have to go with your heart and that's what I've done in the past. And um, <laughs> having had this recent race cancelled, I'm just like, oh, um yeah, I, I really can't see what the next sort of six months holds, but I, I definitely do want to to run faster and I'd love to aim for the 2024 Olympics. So we'll we'll see where things go. <laughs> do you, yeah, that's this is like just so fascinating to me because it's something I'm like obviously never going to be faced with is the decision to, to you know, forgo like maybe potential career opportunities because you're going to have a kid. And I think like mm. people can relate to this whether they're a runner or like even just in business, like it's still a decision that like at some point every female faces really, isn't it? And mm. so like now where it's like 2022, uh, you know, having a baby's like, a, I, uh, again, I'm like guiding me here, but I assume it's like a year long process of, of once you, you know, find out you're pregnant to, to when you can even sort of be back to anywhere near like, you know, an, like a, an Olympic marathon training load. Mm. Like, how heavily, how much do you think about these decisions? How like much are you talking about them with, with your partner and with mm. other people? And like, well, I, yeah, um, my husband's really supportive and, and we do have some, um, you know, some quality chats about these things. He has some big goals with his running as well. He's an 800 meter runner and um, he still, you know, thinks he's, best is, is yet to come. And, and I believe him, he's um, putting together some really good training. And so he's pursuing his running goals as well. And, and as much as we try to plan things out so that we can both maximize our running it, as I said, there's, there's only so much you can, can control at times, but I think I went into my first pregnancy, just really confident that I'd um, be able to get back to, you know, running at the highest level because I, I'd seen women around me do it. We've got, you know, Elsie, Wellings. Um, oh, I can reel off so many names, you know, Lisa Waitman, Sinead Diver, Karen McCann, Sonia O'Sullivan, um, Paula Radcliffe. And so having all of those role models um, really, um, you know, helped me to believe that it was was possible. And my approach was to just stay as, as healthy um, throughout my pregnancy as possible. I wasn't too focused on continuing running. As I said, it was more about um, 
looking after my body so that it would be in a place where I could um, pick up my training again after giving birth. Um, something I probably didn't think too much about was the re- logistical side of being a mum. And, um, you know, there's suddenly you can't just go for a run when it fits in anymore. You, you're trying to work out um, options for, you know, child minding, um, babysitting, um, so that you can train with your squad and um, there are times when you know your child's unwell and just a lot of uncontrollables that um, do make it all a bit more challenging but at the same time I think there are so many benefits to being a parent and a runner because you do have this broader perspective and you just feel mentally um, fresher when you go out there you, you realize it's you know, um, you're grateful to be out there and and just giving it everything, and um, you, you've got a greater purpose to to everything you do. So, I think you do just have to trust that um, if you you know fall pregnant, that you will be able to to get back to your best. And if anything, um, right now, women should have all the confidence in the world that age is only a number, and um, you know, with with family goals, um, age is is a factor that you need to consider. But with your running goals, I don't think it is anymore. You just um, keep on layering the training, and um, the sky's the limit. So uh, that's that's my well, they're my thoughts on it all now. Yeah, it's like you, you sort of mentioned that, like um, when you when you're out there training, you have to think about your like your, your greater purpose and mm. and for you it's like inspiring people and I'm sitting here feeling inspired now like almost like I'm a mother to be and I realize that's a bit <laughs> stupid because that's probably pretty unlikely but <laughs> so I can only imagine what what like someone who's actually faced with this would feel hearing someone like you talk about that like yeah it's, it's bloody inspiring me to be honest um, and it's it's crazy it's something I've like I just never have conversations about this so to have this conversation with you is <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, my mind's struggling to sort of comprehend it all, but but I, I do f- feel inspired. So you have to to be patient, and I I feel for women probably ten to twenty years ago who at this point in their career would probably have felt pressured to to hang up the shoes and would have been told. And you know, when you're fitting within social norms, it's like okay, I'll wrap up my running career, and now it's phase two. I feel really. Um, I guess grateful to be a part of um, this era where there's just um, no norms anymore. It's just <laughs> get out there and see what you can do. And, um, you know, people are so supportive. My coach has been incredibly supportive. I mean, he's a father of two and um, he has just been with me the whole way. Um, obviously, we started working together in 2008. And I think that longevity's something really special um, that we've been able to achieve in that coach athlete um, relationship. But what's really cool is he's been with me through a lot of major life milestones. And, you know, he was the one of the first to come and visit us when Billy was born and he was so pumped for us. And if I'd said at that point, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be running anymore. He would have said, well, you know, we've had a good time, you know, focusing on the running career and, and all the best for the next stage. You know, he wouldn't have um, been stressed by that at all. He's um, just been really supportive of me and my goals. So uh, that has made a huge difference. 
Yeah, uh, he wouldn't have forced you to go for a 15-minute run the next day. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, No, but, you know, something funny. um, I think Billy was born at 10.30 a.m. and my husband, he, yeah, there was this um, 800-metre race just down the road at, uh, you know, weekly interclub at about 3 p.m. that day and he sort of said, oh, look, do you mind if I just duck out and um, run an 800 (laughs) like go for it so on the day Billy was born Dylan was out there still with his little um the little wrist band they give you in hospital you know with <laughs> he had that wristband. on during his race and yeah knocked out an 800 and then came back all sweaty and um so yeah we do live and breathe running it's um part of our lifestyle but it's it's cool that we both understand it and um get excited for each other and and each other's goals. So, yeah. Yeah, he was he was wearing the hospital wristband like a <laughs> like a nineteen year old kid wears a Falls Festival <laughs> yeah. bracelet. <laughs> That's right. I have a bit of extra motivation. <laughs> yeah, this is uh this is also like the beauty of him being an eight hundred meter runner and not a marathoner. A little bit harder to, to go on like you know race a marathon the day of a birth than an eight hundred. Two minutes versus two hours. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, speaking of like the, the girls you compete against, um, something we've talked about a little bit today, is it is it just an inspiring thing? Like are, are you guys, do you guys all just lift each other up? Are you all friends or, in you know, is there is there a competitive nature to it? And, and when you are on the start line against those girls, is there like, is it all just support or is there someone you're scared to race or is there, you know, someone that you love to race because you think you have the edge on them? Like how does that dynamic work at the moment? We are friends um, and it, it works. I, I don't really know. The feeling when you're on the start line, well, for me personally, I've always been driven by um, exploring my own limits and, and seeing, um, you know, how much I can improve. So I think uh, for me, I kind of get out there and like, let's see what I can do today. I'm not thinking too much about the others. Obviously you're racing them, but at the end of the day, I only know that I can do as much as I can do and having other people out there um, to, to help me to draw more out of myself is, is helpful. Um, Sinead, we raced together in the 2017 London world champs. And I remember being in, in this pack and, sort of thinking, all right, we're all settling into our rhythm and it was about 15 Ks in and um, you're feeling, you know, a little bit overwhelmed about um, the event and and Sinead came up beside me and we just sort of said, oh, hello. And I just remember how, you know, relaxed I felt in that moment, having a fellow Australian beside me there. And um, so I guess when you're out there in those major championships, um, you definitely do feel like you're at your te- you're a team and trying to take on the rest of the world rather than racing against each other. And domestically, you know, you just acknowledge that everyone has their their tough times and their good times. And you know, I'm happy when I, I see someone have a great race. And um, yeah, I I think it's we do have a really good relationship and you know after the recent Melbourne half marathon um, I I wasn't very um, happy with my result there a few things just didn't quite go right and I I hit a bit of a wall but afterwards I went for brekkie with um, Ellie, Sinead, Eloise, um, Sophie, um, Fit and 
we were all just joking around and, and speaking about things unrelated to running and it was really nice. So it's, it's great to have this, um, yeah, um, deep um, women's field at the moment. And I think we're only going to see the times come down more and more and, and we'll be more competitive against the rest of the world. Yeah, that's, that's actually really nice to hear, isn't it? And like, not, like having sort of had experience with most of those girls personally, um, you are all just like such good people, especially talking to you today. Like you're just, you're an all-time good person. So it is sort of hard to picture you guys like getting super competitive and angry at each other in the same way you might see like sort of, you know, rivalries in tennis or in fighting or whatever it is. Yeah, I feel like the sport's a bit too small for that. And also we we go on training camps together and you're out doing long runs, chatting. You know, running's one of those nice sports where you can really get to know um, people. I think, you know, when you speak to swimmers, it's quite hard for them to be social in training because your, your head's in the water and you're following that black line and even in other sports where you've, you know, got a lot of skill sessions, um, you, you can't be too social, but running, we have a lot of opportunities to, to just, yeah, share the banter and <laughs> um, enjoy those more relaxed long runs together. Yeah. And, and we've sort of talked about, you know, like motherhood and, and running a bit, but is there, is there sort of other passions you have in life? Is there other things things you're doing and, and is there other things you want to do or, or are you all in on being a mum and being a runner? Well, you know, I've, I've worked um, as a physio um, since 2010 and was really enjoying that space and, you know, helping people to improve their physical health so that they can you know, enjoy what they want to do in life and, um, you know, was was getting quite into that for a while there. And, and since becoming a mum, I haven't been doing as much physio clinical work. I've been enjoying um, speaking and, and going out to schools and um, even sort of in the corporate setting, just working with people, sometimes in a bit of a mentoring capacity, but also just sharing experiences and, and answering questions and, and helping people to work out what what drives them. And I've really loved doing that. Um, my other passions would definitely include um, socialising. I, I really just, I like people and, <laughs> and catching up with, with family and friends. And, um, you know, I love the outdoors. I also enjoy art. So if I had to identify you know something that's like my um, real switch off activity it's painting and drawing so it's nice wow. to have that outlet as well yeah wow that's crazy that's pretty diverse <laughs> it's a bit random but since I don't know for as long as I can remember I've always just loved art so um, particularly drawing animals that's kind of something I do when I just need to rest the legs and um, and switch off and, and do you show people your art? I, like, is this something that you, like, do you post on your social media or do you have a social media account with it or is this just a you thing? Like you just do it in, uh, in, your, in your, you know, in your desk at home and, and that it never sees like anything apart from that room. It was something I just sort of did, but um, in more recent times I've been, um, you know, doing drawings for other people of their animals and things. So I did just set up a page so that people can um, see, yeah, what, what they might like and um yeah do a few little like commissioned dog drawings and paintings and things like that so oh wow there's yeah i i don't share it on my personal page really um but 
I've just got a separate little account for that. <laughs> yeah. What, what's it called? I'm going to, I'm going to go check it out. <laughs> uh, I'll have to double check. I think it's Jason underscore. Uh, let's just double check here. Jason underscore art. So J S T E N underscore art. <laughs> yeah. I'm, so my favorite person in the world is my dog, Calvin. Oh, I call him Cal. To- to draw Calvin sometime. I, I like drawing Kelpies. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna hit you up on that. <laughs> Kamisha Calvin drawing. Yeah, no worries. Awesome. <laughs> hey, you you also sort of mentioned that you're um you doing you're doing some podcasting yourself now, aren't you? Oh, it's um so the Inside Running Running podcast has their um, little side segment um, for the Patreon. So um, Julian Brady and Brad um, hit. Luke, Luke Matthews, Louis McAfee and I up um, a few months ago and asked whether we'd be happy to start our own little segment for 10 weeks. And so uh, that's been fun. It's called the long and the short of it. Obviously a bit of a play on words because um, we've got some short distance and some long distance um, endurance runners there. But um, yeah, it's 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 great because I didn't really know the guys too well beforehand, um, particularly not Louis. I've been on some teams with Luke um, so learning how they approach things and yeah, there's just a lot of joking around as well. Um, so that's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. So what, like, why did that come about? How come is it, is it like, cause you're training for a race and you're like talking about it or like, can you just take me inside that a little bit more, how it all sort of came about and, and how it's going and where it's going? Sure. Well, I, <laughs> I have no idea how they, they picked the three of us. Um, <laughs> but uh we probably because we we are all focusing on slightly different events so the the structure of each weekly episode is we go through our training week similar to the three guys do on inside running and then we have our own little segment so Louie and I do a um, a good thing and a bad thing for the sport of running and then Luke does a a race of the week where he goes back through the archives and picks a great race um for example, last week he picked Mottram's 5K at the 2006 Commonwealth Games and oh. um, where he goes through that race in, in a high level of detail. They put a link to the YouTube clip um, in the show notes and uh, and I think we we will take listener questions. We've, we've been talking too much and haven't got to the listener questions yet. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we're just refining our um, skills and you know, it, it has been fun. So, um it's just a little spin-off um the inside running um podcast which will only go as i said for 10 weeks and and then they'll probably come up with another little special thing that that offer their patreons yeah well i mean like you talk so well and like this podcast i've just been fascinated by everything you say and like uh <laughs> like i'm finding myself like really entrenched in you talking you should start your own podcast after that <laughs> <laughs> I reckon you'd kill it. My, my brother bought all of the gear at one point. He was going to start his own podcast because he's come from, I guess, being a sports person um, for um, full time to um, now he he works full time and football is something he does um, on the side. And he was going to start interviewing people about balancing careers with sport and um, how you skills can transition across but he hasn't ever you know fired that up so so maybe he could pass on his gear and uh, <laughs> Dylan and I could start something up but um, 
we've got a bit of a night owl of a toddler on our hands at the moment. So we'd have to <laughs> get that sorted before we could find a time for recording. <laughs> yeah, I, I would consider it if I was you. I think you could kill that actually. I reckon you could really <laughs> kill that. There's, and it's crying out for like a... Uh, like a female like yourself in the in the running space to to start their own podcast, I reckon, because not there's not too many podcasts like that around. I would, yeah, I'd be considering that. It's funny. You, you, so I only came into listening to podcasts in I think it was 2018 or maybe 2017, but really started. You know, I jumped on the train in 2020 when COVID hit, and I was running a lot more on my own and that's when I started to listening to podcasts while I was training. And I thought, oh, this, you know, market's going, it's going to be saturated soon, but there's just this ongoing hunger for it because once you get through all of the episodes, um, you know, on one podcast, you can't wait, you know, for the next week for an episode to be released. So you look elsewhere and I just think it's, um, you know, a product that you kind of can't have too much of, can you? Because there are so many interesting stories out there to, to learn about and, you know, I love listening to running podcasts, but also completely unrelated podcasts. There are some really good ones out there and new ones constantly popping up. For example, you know, I, I got onto yours because I, I saw Julian um, post about it. And then I just got so excited when I was scrolling down the list and seeing, <laughs> you know, the names of people that you'd interviewed. So it's like opening up a new box of um, goodies when you find a new pod- podcast. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, we're trying to, Dylan and I and, and my brother started a, a sports underwear business in 2015, which is sort of ticking along as a bit of a side project as well. And we're trying to figure out what to do with that. So um, got a few little ideas in the pipeline um, still and just trying to work out where to invest our time. So, um, yeah. We'll see. Maybe we could um, tie the podcast in with that business. <laughs> well, I mean, if you started one after after this conversation, I'd be a weekly listener. Oh, so, and I, I you. Bet At you least I'd have one listener. <laughs> yeah, you'd have one. And you two, you two would probably listen to it. So you've got three listeners. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but... Thanks so much for jumping on, Jess. It's um, it's been a, a real pleasure to get to know you. Like while we've been talking here, I'm uh, I've gone from not really knowing more about you than than um than what I read and what I hear to 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 feeling like I'm your friend already. You just have that sort of bubbly, <laughs> vibrant, really like um, contagious energy. So yeah, this has been like so nice. Ah, uh, thanks, Jack. No, it's um, it's exciting to yeah, as I said, have your podcast out there. Um, you've got a great approach to it all so keep up the great work yeah and i'm i'm actually genuinely going to hit you up about that cow drawing i really i've oh, never had sure. cow drawn so i'm excited about yeah, that flick me flick me a photo of him i will i will oh is there like poses that you're better at what what's your strength uh just as long as it's high res uh and yeah it's you probably don't want too much in the background show his front feet and good good quality um you know face that's uh that's all we need. <laughs> okay. Well, he's got a photogenic face. So the worst is when you get sent a fuzzy photo and you're trying to <laughs> you just... <laughs> make up the details. Yeah. Okay. I'll get onto it. It's all about the eyes. I, I like drawing the eyes. Well, in my opinion, he has the, the most beautiful eyes on the planet. So <laughs> um, that's no problems. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks heaps again, Jess. And um, yeah, I, I reckon like if you don't start your own podcast, it would be an absolute 
you know, pleasure to get you back on the show once you've, um, you know, done something else or run another marathon or chat about it because, yeah, I, was, I love this chat. I think, you're, um, I think you're a star. Thank you. Yeah, I really, um, I've got no idea what the next six months are going to look like, but I guess that's part of the excitement, hey? <laughs> yeah, I'll be following along. Awesome. Thanks, Jess. Cool. Thanks, Jack. Bye.